Welcome to Cutting Edge Web Content Development, the podcast where we delve into the world of CMS systems and their crucial role in website and web content development. In each episode, we'll explore the reasons why founders, CEOs, CTOs, and CMOs of web content development companies need CMS systems to thrive in the digital landscape. Get ready to uncover the secrets behind successful website management, content creation, and seamless user experiences. Here's your host, Jonathan Ames. Welcome to Cutting Edge Web Content Development, a podcast by Butter CMS. Joining me today is Brandon Tancott of Boost. Really excited to hear some of the things he has to say about communication and its influence on content structure. So, Brandon, can you start us off with just a description of your career and kind of some of the projects you've worked on? Yeah. Well, first of all, I've been in the game for about 26 years now in digital. So, currently, I'm the founder of WebStreet Digital, but also, as you mentioned, the MD of Boost. So, I've been in digital, in digital marketing, digital advertising, content creation for, like I said, 26 years. And I'm also a mentor, activist, community leader, husband, father of 11-year-old boy and living in, in South Africa. So, that's kind of me in a nutshell. That's awesome. I have an 11-year-old boy, too. That is actually an explorative time. It's like you're figuring everything out and trying to see how things work. So yeah, it's great. Well, tell us a little bit, what are some of the projects that you've worked on and how is this kind of giving you this feeling that communication and content structure are important? Well, I think in my career, we've worked a lot on publishing. So publishing has been one of the forefronts of our focus is publishing and e-commerce. So both of those are very intent-driven areas of creation for websites, you know, there's a specific need for a user to get to a website to do something. So in obviously working with publishers, we've also been a lot across different sectors. So when you're working on mining, whether it be infrastructure, water and sanitation, or even your more commercial retail type of brands, when it comes to creating the content that you put on onto the web, the structure of the content and how it gets communicated becomes uh, critical. Otherwise, it just becomes a sea of a mess. So working with publishers and predominantly business-to-business publishers, it's how I've gained that experience and insights. And when you say publishers, do you mean like a traditional, like a magazine type of publisher or books, or, or are you talking about journalists or what would you consider publishing in this case? Well, it actually started out as traditional publishing. I've been around for long enough, Jonathan, to go back in the days when it was print, where we were predominantly print and we were focusing on how do we use digital to drive our circulation and our ABC numbers to attract advertisers? So, but then that transition came when we went into a lot more digital and how print started to sort of go down and digital publishing started to go up. And I was part of, you know, that upswing and seeing how brands or publishers adopt from print to going into digital, but then also adopting other means and other channels. As you know, we haven't just stopped at the internet. We've actually branched out into multiple other channels of communications and devices. And publishers have had to keep up with that. And so have I. So it's been a daunting task, but that's really the focus of my career. All right. Excellent. So let's talk, get into the strategy here of content structure. How is this confluence of communication and content structure work in digital websites? Well, I think confluence, you know, firstly, if you come back to it, confluence is the understanding of ideas coming together or merging together. So we know the word comes from uh, originally two rivers or a flow of information that needs to merge together to create a single idea or concept. So when we're speaking about digital concepts and the desires of users, their thoughts, 
their behaviors, what they need to do, that happens at the point of when you communicate to them. So those concepts, ideas, desires can only be taken up by the users once they've been transferred by communication. So the, how we structure that content is very important to how we deliver the communication or the user's desires and needs aren't going to be met, obviously. So the confluence of ideas is obviously now quite broad in the digital age. We've got various concepts around what platforms to use, the technologies, but also the way people think and where they come from is completely diverse. So ideas and how we communicate ideas has got a lot more complex, and that's why it's very important to make sure that you're understanding what is the content structure that you're going to use when communicating. So in that case, it needs to be a clearly communicated content structure needs to be understood, needs to be clearly referenced, and obviously it needs to be something that can be indexed. So unstructured content is obviously going to cause, as you know, a lot of miscommunication and get people a little bit confused on where they go. So confluence of uh, content and content structure is really an efficiency of how you communicate. Especially, I think, in today's age where people's attention span is very short and the amount of content that is out there is very large, you really have a short window of time in which to convince them that they're going to get something that they want out of your content because it's well-structured. Whereas if they do not see that right away, immediately they're going to jump and find someone else who they think might have a better chance of structuring that content in the way they can digest it. Yeah, exactly that. It's how you communicate and what you communicate are really the functions, but the goal is the why you communicate before you communicate. So really, what is the point that in context, how are you trying to influence me with this communication? So in defining the context of that content, it allows you to communicate correctly and then influence the person the way that you want to. Bearing in mind, influence, even the word is in, is to flow into influences to have an effect on someone's character or their developments or their behavior, which is exactly what we want to do on the internet, is get those two parties or the two individuals to be able to join together or to flow together, to have that inter between the two, which means two, inter and the internet, the confluence of those ideas that come together. Yeah, beautiful how that fits together. So maybe a good thing next to do would be to give an example of perhaps a project where you helped put together this communication and content structure in a way that influenced the outcomes for the users. Can you share with us something like that? Yeah, I think one would be looking at continuous professional development. A lot of associations or bodies have programs of continuous professional development, and a lot of those associated with the provision of content, meaning they need to be able to access and read magazines and or access local information in order to log points, which at the end of the year, they can validate their qualifications. So that's a simple use case of how now do you structure your content in your magazine, on your website, so that a user can firstly claim those CPD points, that the user experience in order to, to claim them is pretty straightforward. So we've done a few implementations on that. And obviously, there are other ones in financial sectors as well that you can point out. But the most common one in publishing is that I've worked on is that example. And so what are some of these key elements to consider when you're taking this to developing a website's content structure? What are these elements that someone might start with when they're doing the planning process? 
I think an understanding of what the parts and the elements of the structure need to be. So you've got a whole bunch of moving parts and elements that need to come together. What is these, for example, like we just said, CPD, are there continuous points that need to be included in this content? Is the content going to be video, visual, audio? Is it going to be text-based content? What is the understanding of the user and how is this content going to sort of support and uplift the user to get them to where they need to be? Or how do you promote and sort of amplify the user a little bit more so that you can get them to, to sort of understand that that's obviously something you also need to do? And framing. You want to frame the content so that you can make it ready to use by the user. So framing it really means is that you're setting the initial intent of what that content is up front so that before the user even gets into that content, it's clearly framed what they're going to get out by going through it. A good example of it is I like to always teach as a recipe book. You want to know on the front cover, you want to put a very nice picture of the cake. Otherwise, who's going to bother even reading the recipe book? But you know, the moment you open to page one, you would have your index, which is your hierarchy. So the point is to bake the cake and you want to put that up front. And then when you go into the hierarchy of context, the very first thing in the beginning then is going to be to get the ingredients, which would be, like I mentioned earlier, those elements or parts of the structure that you need to bring together and formulate to create the context. So once you've identified and you have that understanding and you have the context and you have your framing and you've made it ready to use, you also need to look at your hierarchy. So how is it that you're you know, you don't start with putting your mixed ingredients in the oven before you've actually cracked your eggs. You crack your eggs, you mix your ingredients, then you put it in the oven. Otherwise, your cake is not going to come out in the correct order. So understanding the intention of the end goal of the user in terms of structuring the content is very important, but also being very clear. It sounds very complicated, but really at once you need to be very concise and coherent with your message so that Whatever you're creating in your content structure supports what you're trying to communicate and doesn't distract from your content. That happens a lot when people are doing SEO and they get a little bit too fancy with their SEO and or the AI engines. And then they forget that, you know, there's a human being that needs to read this and be able to follow the recipe to bake the cake. I'm using a simple example, but that's really what it is. So your words, words are how humanity builds itself. It's how we do everything. So in that context, being free to speak and publish is really a very high value of our collective experience. And it's kind of a, an inheritance for us, for our future, but also for business. It's how we carry our brand into the future. When you're creating your content, don't overlook how long it's going to live on the internet. So having something well considered is probably better than publishing it faster. In a world where, like you said earlier, Jonathan, you can publish at the snap of your fingers, really considering something is really important. I love how you start out with pointing out the importance of beginning with the end in mind. You know, what is the end in mind for the publisher of that content? What are they hoping to provide at the end? As well as making it clear for the user what they're going to get out of it, making sure that matches up with their particular needs. I think that one of the challenges that especially marketers They'll listen to what you're saying and they'll think, okay, this is kind of like a customer journey. Here's the points that I want them to go along and then I can build content along these points that bring them along the journey and make sure that that all kind of fits together. So that is 
easier done when you have a controlled environment, like when someone logs in and right away you're like, oh, I know who this user is. I can basically give them content based upon these roles. It becomes tougher when in a, a standard website format, you may not know in the beginning, you may have multiple types of users coming with different intent to your content. And it's kind of a matter of how do I sort them into these right journeys or into these right flows based on what it is they're looking for and what I'm hoping to accomplish as a publisher. Any advice that you have around that when someone is trying to structure content in a format where you don't know who exactly is going to be viewing it or it could be many different types of people with different intents? I think you did hit the nail on the head there. When you're looking at the intention, it's also understanding the behavior. So understanding the there's a general behavior of, for example, when my geezer bursts, First, I panic. Then I need to run and either get to my mobile phone to Google the telephone number for somebody who can come out and fix my geezer. So that would be my intention is to immediately find someone who can come and fix the geezer. So I do my search, that intention, I get to the page that I want. So my where, my what, and my when is being defined by the service that you offer. So sometimes we forget because we're so busy looking outward that we forget to look inward and what is the value that we're offering to the end user? What is the problem that we're actually solving and what are they going to knock on our door for? So if you understand the behavior, like I just explained now, what is your product fit when a user engages with it? What is the behavior? Where are they at? Where are If they're booking a holiday, they're going to have a different mindset than if they're booking a work trip, for example. So that you can play on those different behavioral mindsets to bring a little bit of context of time, place, and space. Without a time, place, and space, you're 100% correct. Things can get a little bit vague. But if you can define the time, place, and space that they most likely to engage with your content, you can make sure that you're on time. I mean, we know being on time with publishing and content is important. You don't want to get a notification for your car service after the fact that you need your car service, for example. You want to make sure that that notification comes in before the fact. So sometimes receiving when someone receives something is even more important than what they receive in the timing and the context of where they are. And every business needs to find that rhythm or that flow of communication. You hear people or marketers often talk about the voice or the tone of communication, obviously. The quicker you find that and allow people to follow that, the sooner, the easier you it'll be to make sure that you get into the client's world that you understand what their challenges are and the way that they would potentially communicate with you. And then meet them there. If someone's looking or they challenged with a tax problem, for example, and then they come to you and you create even further stress on them by dropping a whole bunch of acronyms that they can't understand, you've missed the match already. So your communication at first may just be, are you having tax problems? We understand for example, and the person feels open now to communicate back to you rather than putting all your knowledge on display on the first interaction. So finding your rhythm of when and where is also important. Otherwise, you drown the user out with information that's not relevant to them right now. And it's not to say that your information for your product isn't fantastic, but again, the space and the time and the place of where the user is You don't want to overwhelm them and you want to make sure that you're adding the value in their context so that they can correctly utilize it and make the decision whether this lawnmower or that lawnmower is the correct lawnmower in the case of e-commerce, for example. Excellent. Yeah. Really good advice there about thinking about the when that your customer is in. 
So let's talk from a strategic standpoint about some of the most common mistakes that you see when planning out web content that happens on websites and how maybe people can identify those strategic mistakes and work to fix them. I think the number one mistake is writing with an understanding that of just looking at search engine or just from a marketing perspective of assuming your intention above the user's intention. Remember, you're there to meet the user's intention with your product or service. But if you override your intention over there, that's when you come across as spammy and over-salesy and your landing pages become a little bit uh, bounce. They just come across wrong. So you do need to understand how you communicate and make sure that it's simple and reliable. And I like to say exceptional communication. You know, if it's not simple and reliable and exceptional nowadays on the internet, chances are you're going to get brushed off very quickly. So a lot of people are putting a lot of information out there very quickly, but it's not exceptional, it's not reliable, and it's definitely not simple. So if you can keep that in mind with your users, and also they have been around for a while now. The internet is maturing out of its teenagers stages. It's going into its middle age, probably middle age phases. So people are used to certain things on a website, simple things you don't want to change in terms of the flow of a user's reading ability. It would be like turning a book on its side or deciding just one day that we're going to actually write the other way around because it's a lot more fun. So the internet has got these frameworks that you can identify and that you can work with that will help you to create and make sure that your content is structured. If you don't use them, you're not only hurting your content, but you're also hurting yourself and wasting a lot of time. So a lot of people who are trying to go and be too creative, I find that's a big mistake. Try and settle in with your content into things that people are, are used to. So a common mistake. Yeah, very, yeah. So a common mistake is trying to kind of reinvent some of these commonly known features and making it more difficult for people to access your content. That's it. That's okay. It. Good point. Good point. Well, that can take us into the tactical side then. So let's say you're planning your web content on a regular basis. and how can you keep this communication in mind in your regular planning process? What are ways uh, to do that? I think that I'll start with a pen and paper. And it sounds strange, and especially in a digital conversation, but just taking a pen and paper and being able to sit and actually contemplate, the ability to be able to contemplate all the information you have. You have access to all the information. You have access to all the analytics. If you've done your job correctly, you have access to all the technology, the headless CMSs the writers, the content, the SEO, you have access to everything you need. What you do need to do is make sure that you have access to what your client is thinking and also to make sure that you're aligned with what you wanted to communicate. So generally, I would sit with a pen and paper and the first thing I would do is draw a line down the middle and I would understand what's going on in my client's space, world right now, and what's going on in my world and how do I make those two meet. And as I go down the list, you start getting clearer and clearer and clearer in terms of what it is that you're trying to communicate. Obviously, it's, I'm keeping it very broad because this application can be applied to multiple different contexts. And it normally spills out into brainstorming or into from there, like I like to call it a bit of a brain dump, and then from there going into online research and seeing do those assumptions match up to your analytics. I think that's a lot easier and foster way to get your planning right. And then once you've matched that up, planning on a board or looking at some sort of spreadsheet where you can map the ideas out and the different elements of your structure. So understanding what is the context, 
What is the content? What are the keywords that I want to include? And sort of mapping those out on a board so that you can start creating the interlinks visually for yourself intellectually and understanding what are the, for example, the calls to actions that I may need to use when and how and what is the most efficient way for the user once they interact with me to get from their current behavioral state or where they are now to where they, my product desires them to be and what is the shortest way to get them to that state. And less clicks, obviously the best is the old adage, but it really does count in keeping things simple. That's great advice. I, I think one of the biggest traps when you have a regular content calendar going is to be so deep in the, the tactical that you don't pop up from time to time and look back at your strategy and make sure that the two are aligning and getting you where you want to go. It's easy to get off track if you don't pop up from time to time. Kind of like you're saying, you know, take that quiet moment, whether it's with a piece of paper or digitally and map those things out. Yeah. Check your alignment, basically. Or you'll find you'll be sending things according to routine and rather than actually what you want to do, which yes. is engage the clients. And I think the routine is great for you because you're ticking boxes, but the routine very quickly wears, can even wear your clients down and actually result in the reverse result that you need. So it's worthwhile stopping and actually considering and then re-engaging. Yeah, uh, good points. Let me ask you this question about AI. I know this year's <laughs> everybody seems to be talking about AI. How can one use AI to improve content structure and communication? I think AI is extremely revolutional. It gives us access to what's behind door number three, to access to things that are unknown beyond what humans can create. And we've never had that before. What is beyond human intellect and what beyond what is beyond humans' creation in terms of content? So our current elements or the elements that we've been talking about so far in terms of our languages, cultures, our biologies, our needs, our desires, our wants, all of these elements come together for us to be able to communicate and create an intention or a purpose or a goal to be able to do something. AI is not limited by our biology, our history, our ideology, our language. It doesn't, it's going to use those as reference points, but it's going to go beyond that and do something that we haven't seen before, which I think no one really knows. And also AI has obviously removed all those barriers to creation. The time and the effort to create is now gone. And it's going to be creating things beyond the reference of humanity in terms of what it can think of. But it does give us the ability to actualize things and ideas instantly, which is very exciting. So having an idea or concept, having the context and the confluence to be able to put all these elements together and string them together, and then the AI will give us that ability to actualize that idea super fast, which is obviously very exciting. And you won't just be able to visualize uh, this neural network as it grows. and um, You'll be able to watch it shape and grow over time. So, you know, the content structures that we're looking at now and we're discussing are almost going to evolve biological, biologically, Jonathan. If you can imagine as AI evolves along content and starts creating its own content, so will how people index and evolve as well along with that. So it's going to be quite exciting, I'm sure. Yeah, it's definitely the beginning, the infancy of what AI can do right now. I've seen several tactical examples of people using AI. And they're usually very, very focused. So, so I want AI to do this thing for me. Either I want speed or I want to get variations or find patterns. 
but it is the infancy. So it's, it's always interesting to see how that's done. Have you seen an example of someone using AI to structure content to actually do the structuring it rather than the generation of the content? Yeah, I have. I've used it myself as well. In terms of understanding, for example, when you look at infrastructure or any of the complex sectors when it comes to building or municipalities or running certain sectors within an economy, there's a lot of overlap between different sectors. And it's not always easy to understand the topical focus or interest within different sectors and how they overlap with other sectors. A simple example would be forestry and, for example, paper. Forestry is not only there for paper, but paper is not only there to make things for printing on. Obviously, there's multiple applications and multiple industries for forestry and for paper. And what are the key, if you're not in forestry or paper, but you need now need to look at an SEO plan for a publisher that's talking about these subjects, using AI to be able to do that research, to get in the head of someone who is uh, specialized within that field, who can think about those overlapping segments of content categories that you may have missed is extremely valuable. And also in generating keyword ideas, again, outside of your privy or your expertise. So being able to model personas, being able to put on someone else's hat or experience, I find is invaluable in creating content structures and also be able to role play. We used to do role playing in sales all the time, physically in rooms, sitting chair to chair among, across from each other. So always a lot of great fun. I find to do role play around your content and the context of your content, keeping in mind who you're targeting, your profiles, it's super fast. If you had to do that in the old days, 20 years ago, you would need a, a super ace marketing team with degrees up their sleeves. Now you just need to know the right prompts and you need to know the right context of information that you're asking and how that content category can affect you and influence your ideas of what you're going to put out there on the website. So just using it for content creation itself is fantastic. Obviously, that will have its downsides in the future as humans and AI compete to who can create the most. We create, humans created a certain space, frequency, tone, relevance that's relevant to us. AI will start doing the same. It will develop languages and processes and things that are relevant to AI that's not relevant to humans and vice versa. And we may need a bridge language in between which is obviously what people like Elon Musk are working on, Neuralink, to make sure we don't lose too much bandwidth and fall behind. But that is the reality. We're going to be developing two complete intellects into the future, and the planet will be dominated by these two intellects in terms of the ideas that we generate. And ideas are often communicated in content, and now our content is communicated digitally. So the world is racing ahead, and so is AI. But I don't think it's a competition as much as it is, is a collaboration for something new. So it's quite exciting. And for those who are not familiar with prompts, so basically that's the string of text that you would give to an AI to basically ask it something. And that's a rapidly evolving new career field now, a prompt engineer, you know, someone who's just about writing something accurate for AI to understand. So it's like a translator between AI and, and humanity. That's it. Yeah. Very interesting. That's it. And now human rights and AI rights, copyright rights, all of those things we are already unpacking. So how is it influencing our ability to produce content, original content? How does that affect copyright? All of these things are going to affect us in digital 
and ultimately how we publish content and where we put the content in our systems. So how we retrieve and store information in our own brains is evolving, but also in the way databases has evolved and mainframes have evolved. Well, let me ask you, Brandon, a kind of transition to a more personal note. I ask this of everyone who comes on. Over a long career, you learn a few things. And if you were to go back in a time machine, talk to yourself when you were at the beginning of your career, what one piece of advice would you give yourself? That's a good, I would say persevere. Perseverance is you don't quit before you know that you've achieved what you need to achieve. I think sometimes if you go back and you go, you try a lot of things. I, was, I grew up in an age where the internet was evolving very fast. So you try things very quickly and you drop things very quickly, which was fantastic for learning. However, there were a lot of things that I thought, you know, now looking back at 43 years old, if I'd persevered on that, you know, that would have made a big difference. And having to go back and pick up on those skills now, you know, this is dusting off and putting a bit of oil on the creeks here and there. I would say persevere and also don't underestimate the value of learning and or mentorship. I think the value of mentorship and learning is phenomenal in your career. And if I sit here now, I can think back over 20, 30, 40 people that'll bring a tear to my eye that I can show gratitude to. So I would remind my young self to not be arrogant and remain grateful because you've got a lot of people around you and they'll be around still in 20 years, which they are. <laughs> yeah, very good advice. So what about in your career, has there been any books or podcasts, conferences that really have been transformational in your learning experience? Yeah, I think I've had a mentor, Dr. Martini. So I've done conferences and events with him before and I still work with him on his user experience and his content or his institute. So that's obviously had a big influence on my life. And other teachers and trainers and mentors over the years in terms of what they've been able to offer me, both intellectually, but also in terms of support and access to opportunities in meeting new people. So I think I've been very privileged in that respect to have had access to a lot of people. I don't want to name drop, but there's been a lot of very influential people. And as a result of that, yeah, you know, it inspires you to give back. So in the same respect, I do a lot of work with Flow Global uh, Leaders Program and other youth programs in order to get youth into digital, into development, into coding, so that people can create careers. So understanding that digital is beyond just creating products or websites, but it actually is feeding families. So that's a big passion of mine. It's interesting the word digital, I mean, originally it comes from our digits. You're typing on things. And I wonder if some point, you know, we'll pass that in the same way we think of record, you know, the old records. And now people don't even associate that with that same word. So maybe digital will happen the same way. Well, tell us a little bit about Boost. I mean, that's, as an agency name, that's very charged with meaning there. There's some promise to that. But who are the best kind of people who should come and talk to Boost? And how should they get a hold of you? Boost works a lot in the business-to-business space. It's a Webflow leading agency. Where, so we specialize predominantly in Webflow in London and the UK, although our clients are all over the world. I'm obviously in South Africa and our clients are in America, UK, Australia, all over the world. And we focus on the SaaS companies, financial companies uh, predominantly, although we have spent a lot of time with media companies and also agencies. So a big part of our work has been agency to agency type of work that you don't put in your portfolio, but that is really fantastic in terms of building good relationships with solid agencies. So we've spent a big portion of our time working on that. 
And the team has grown. There's a very strong base of user experience experts. There's content professionals. The CEO, Will, used to be a professional golfer, so he's got a very keen attention to detail and professionalism, and he's very competitive. So clients who are looking for a competitive agency, hence the name Boost, would be well-suited to come. It's not the cheapest, but we are very tactical and focused. We also don't have a huge portfolio of clients, so we make sure that you get uh, very personal care. A lot of that involves strategy, analytics, uh, and some of the stuff that we're talking about now. Taking a step back from the buzzwords, if we want to call it that, and actually getting down to what are we trying to say? And it doesn't make sense. And, and will people actually hear it and understand it and take action on it? And when you're dealing with very complex products in SaaS or financial markets, that isn't always as easy as it sounds because you're sometimes speaking to very specific people who may be investors, who may be buyers, or they sit on very different. And so they're looking for specific terms and then we specialize in those type of clients. Excellent. So B2B SaaS, how can people find you or connect with you? They can go to the website, boostdesign.co.uk. You can also go to webstreet.digital. You can go and check me out on LinkedIn, Brandon Tankot, or just forward slash Tankot. You'll find me there. I also have the Navigate the Web podcast, which we do weekly. We talk about all things digital, web, entrepreneurship, really aimed at small, young startup entrepreneurs giving back, taking some of the experience that I've had, Jonathan, and just passing it forward. There's obviously the Webflow chapters. We run London chapter for Boost. We also run the Cape Town chapter in South Africa. So we, you can get involved physically in person and, and as well if you're in one of those cities and come and have a coffee. So there's a lot of ways to reach out. And of course, email, brandon at tanker.com. It's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me, as you know, Jonathan. Excellent. Brandon, appreciate all of your insights and uh, some of the personal stories that you told. I think that's really it helps ground people in the things that are most important as they're working on digital content and trying to communicate. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Jonathan. Cutting Edge Web Content Development is brought to you by Butter CMS. To find out how you can build better with Butter, stop wasting dev time, and free your marketers from your legacy CMS, visit buttercms.com. Also, make sure to search for Cutting Edge Web Content Development in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Butter CMS, thank you for listening.